You're listening to Renew Economy's weekly podcast, an update on clean energy and climate policy. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, leading energy market analyst, David Leach. Hello and welcome to RE's weekly podcast. This is Giles Parkinson speaking to you this week from Adelaide. And joining me is David Leach from Sydney. Hello, David. Hi, Giles, and hello to all our listeners. And what a week it's been in the energy markets with electricity and gas on the front page of the news just about every day. Uh, a situation I think is going to keep going pretty much all year. Well, exactly. You just can't seem to keep it off the front page. And look, I guess we'll start with the latest news, which is about the gas shortage. In fact, we're going to talk about a couple of different things today. It's going to be gas shortage. It's going to be the continuing politics. It's going to be battery storage, some really interesting things happening here, and the state of the old clunkers that currently support the grid. But let's get to gas first, David. Well, the shortage they're talking about is is only small. And of course, uh, people who've been analysing the gas market, including AEMO, have been uh, talking about how tight the gas market's going to be uh, for years um, now. So it's great, no great surprise. I mean, gas demand has tripled uh, with the start-up of all the LNG plants up to uh, over um, about 1,200 petajoules in, per year in total. And the gas market's controlled by only a few players domestically. Uh, and so, and we can't do the, we're not uh, allowing fracking or coal seam gas mining other than in Queensland. So it's no wonder the situation is tight. But I think the interesting thing about the EMO report, and um, it's funny that they should come out now predicting a shortage when only four months ago in the network um, uh, planning um, report, they were predicting five gigawatts of new gas um, over the next five to 10 years. But um, I think the point is about this report is that we don't actually have a shortage of gas. We've actually just decided to export um, 70% of it. Um, if we actually held back 5% of it, um, which we probably can't do because the contracts are locked in place, that would solve the problems. And I think the other interesting thing for me that AEMO pointed out was that even if you did open up everything for coal seam gas, even if you expanded the current fields, and they say there's enough gas in the current fields, you're not going to be able to do that at a cheap price. You're not going to bring down the cost of gas. And as you've pointed out on many occasions, it's the cost of gas and the lack of competition which has pushed up wholesale um, prices. And you can't build any and building plants and build any new fee. It's clear to me that gas is kind of dealing itself out of, the, out, of the, out, of the, out of the equation. Well, I mean, there's lots of solutions to the gas crisis. As you say, um, some of the Queensland LNG could be shipped down and has been shipped down south uh, when prices and occasions warrant. Uh, The LNG from Queensland is contracted as to volume uh, and as to price for the most part. But some of the players like BG have big global portfolios that they can surely shuffle around a, a, a shipload or two if they want to. That's one thing. Secondly, AGL is talking about building an LNG import terminal. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, that would certainly be a solution. It does sound crazy, but is it, a, is it a crazy idea? I mean, if they can actually maybe source gas from Western Australia, um, which is exported via LNG tankers, is that a dumb idea? or? Well, it, it, it goes to the broader point, Giles, that um, there's no shortage of gas in Australia. Uh, it's just the price and the cost of getting it. Or there's no shortage of gas in the world. At some price, we can have gas in Australia. There's no doubt about it. And we will have gas in Australia. High prices will produce solutions. That's what markets work. Every time prices go up, people complain, particularly the people who have to buy the gas complain bitterly. Uh, and, and, uh, but, you know, there's always an answer. It just means you have to pay more. 
And, and look, this crisis, Giles, I just want to finish here. This crisis has been years and years in gas in making. Any producer who hasn't taken steps to ensure their gas supply over the five or six years that we've, we and everyone else in the industry has been telling them about it really shouldn't be complaining about high prices now. They've had a long time to get set. And now they've got competition from other competition from other technologies. On the same day as we get this gas report from the market operator, we have Reputex coming out with their own assessment saying that um, renewables, that's wind and solar, with grid scale storage is actually a cheaper option than gas peaking plants. And we've got Tesla on the very same day launching the Power Two Powerwall Two battery storage in um, in Melbourne. Um, they're going to start delivering to households in April, which is interesting, and we'll get onto that later. But one of the interesting things that Lyndon Reeve said um, on Thursday was that give them a haze and they could build megawatt, 300 megawatt hour battery storage, and that would solve all the problems for um, South Australia. Is he right? Well, I think the 100 days more or less is right, or if it's not 100 days, it's 150 days. Again, we've been saying this for ages, and I think the great example is the Aliso Canyon uh, 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 gas crisis in the United States where uh, I forget the exact number, 80 megawatts of storage has been installed inside of six months. And, and this is again coming, the same old themes emerge time and time again. The question is why the South Australian government hasn't had the nerve to actually go out and, and, and invite a contract for this storage. I'm sure it's not just Tesla that's been in to see them. I'll bet you any money AES and a number of other players have been in to see them twice a week, but nothing happens. Well, I guess as we pointed out last week is that um, I think it was AES in, in front of the Senate inquiry getting frustrated that um, no one seemed to understand what they were doing at the political level and even at some of the regulatory level. Well, well I think it's the obvious answer, but at the same time, if we turn around and put ourselves in the politicians and bureaucrats and companies feet. You don't want to be the guy that listens to all these people that says there's a new technology solution out there and you go and put it in and it's a complete dud. I mean, BHP built a hot HBI plant, a hot briquette plant that cost well over a billion dollars back in the day and it never worked. You know, you just don't want to be the person making it. So I can understand in some sense why everyone's been cautious about it. But personally, I think that the uh, dollars invested relative to the scale of the problem uh, are so small that it's, it's worth pushing on hard. Don't forget, uh, consumers uh, are going to be paying more than $9 billion extra across the NEM uh, for electricity over the next couple of years. Uh, and and uh, just one final quick point that I'm, I'm not sure that batteries are going to solve all of South Australia's problems in the short term. They will only stop because they're not necessarily going to be that economic at the moment as energy providers. What they're going to be good at is providing peaking power. But we need to remember that South Australia needs more energy. If we could show that batteries and wind combined were cheaper than a new gas-fired station, that's when I think we'd really be cooking. Yes, well, that was what um, Reputex seemed to think that um, they had found. Um... Anyway, let's move on to sort of um, behind the meter battery storage, Tesla, Powerwall 2 coming up with their um, new product. Um, pretty interesting stuff, um, retailing at $10,000. Lyndon Reeve, um, the um, Elon Musk, Musk cousin, sorry, made the trip out to Melbourne and announced that he thought that within 10 years, every solar household in Australia would have battery storage. Is that a fair prediction? I think it's... Um, I don't know whether about every one of them, but I guess he, um, he might not be far off. Well, you know, Giles, I've been looking into this myself personally. I know you've got a couple of Enphase uh, batteries in, in, in at the house, and I've been looking at putting another six kilowatts onto my house with a, uh, uh, with a Tesla Powerwall 2 and, and a solar edge inverter, so top-of-the-line equipment. 
Uh, the quote for that's still coming in over $20,000 at the moment. So I think there's still a lot of installer uh, markups and margins in the channel that we have to work out exactly where we're at. Uh, but there's no doubt the economics are improving quickly. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's becoming more and more economic. And as we've often said at the time, I think um, buying electricity is a bit of a grudge purchase for people. It's a pain in the bills. It's something like going to the dentist. You don't really want to do but there's a certain amount of enthusiasm uh, for putting storage into the house if the economics look even halfway reasonable. And given that the competing electricity prices are going up 20% over the next two years, even, I mean, that's the, the same as battery prices coming down 20%. So, you know, uh, we are getting there very quickly. Absolutely. And I sometimes wonder whether it's going to be an economic question at all and people just want to have them. Um, what's interesting, I'm in South Australia at the moment, as I mentioned before, and I had a tour of the South Australia Power Networks um, facility where they're trialling batteries and they've got the world's first large-scale virtual power plant. And they've got interesting results out of that, which they briefed me on, and I'll, I'll be writing a story about that next week. Um, and it was actually quite surprising about the way the battery storage was, was being used. But the one interesting, there's two interesting things that came out of um, this. One was the big increase in solar PV and battery storage uptake in South Australia um, since the um, beta blackouts and blowing stoppages they had last year. So people are starting to start to um, take matters into their own hands. And two were their predictions and um, coming out for the battery storage and the cost of solar storage in the next 10 years. Actually, and it's quite amazing and it's really, it's just going to thump the grid prices. Um, they see it actually sort of being almost half grid price um, in 10 years and that's quite extraordinary and um, that's really going to change the whole dynamics of the grid around. That's right. And I guess that in that market, you know, the reality is you're competing with uh, diesel generators for people that want uh, backup uh, systems. Uh, and you're competing with the grid uh, for people that, that want to roll your own, as we put it in our own uh, NEM, NEM review this week. So, yeah, I, look, there is going to be a lot more. It's, it's, it's a growing industry. I'm quite sure that the PV installers, the solar industry, would love to do batteries as the next roll-up. A little bit of institutional support from governments and that wouldn't go astray. Uh, they just seem to be sitting back and, and, and watching. But uh, uh, as I said, I'm getting my own quote now. I expect a lot of other people will be doing the same. And I think people must be getting so frustrated because even after today, the response from the government was, well, we've got to stop the rollout of renewables. Oh, we've got to... Um, you know, uh, we've got to have more gas, we've got to have more coal. And you just think, hang on, guys, what have you not understood about what's happening and what you're being told is that gas is expensive, the new technologies are coming in, they're beating gas, the coal, as we've actually revealed this week, some of those old coal-fired power plants are really clunky. They've got these new settings on them, they've relaxed the sort of the what's called the dead band around them, how quickly they respond to frequencies, they're actually slow, they're probably not actually giving the services that they um, people are expecting of them. And extraordinarily, the AEMO came out this week and said that they don't actually know what the settings are of the coal plants that were built before 2007. So they're kind of trying to sort of transform this grid with this bunch of clunky equipment that they're not even too sure how it's going to respond or operate. And it just seems like just a terrible mess and sort of, you know, digging deeper into 20th century technology when we should be moving forward into 21st just frustrates the hell out of me. Well, this comes back to the planning aspect and another thing that I'll be looking into, uh, and that's the institutional arrangements. There have been a number of submissions to the Finkel Inquiry. Uh, one you've written about is about AEMO's submission, uh, where they go into things like the 30-minute rule. Another submission was from the AEMC. Now, the AEMC is a bit of a mystery body to most of our listeners, but uh, it's the actual rule setter uh, 
uh, except it doesn't set any rules. It only um, responds to rule change requests that, that come through from others. And, and my opinion is the AMC has been ridiculously slow, ridiculously conservative. It provides the advice to COAG. Uh, and a lot of that advice hasn't always been that flash. And the bigger point here, Giles, is that this is a mess that, no, you know, failure is an orphan. And the trouble is that COAG um, uh, is not one organisation. The federal government only has one vote. Each of the states only has one vote. So there's no controlling organisation to actually set the policy. Uh, and, and this is something that's going to have to be resolved before we can really move forward, is who's in charge. And that's really what the battle is about now. It's between the feds and the states. Yeah, well, that actually came through in the AEMO presentation as well of the submission to Fincourt, and they were saying, for God's sake, let us be in charge. We seem to understand the technology. Let us make the rules, not the big, broader rules, but look, let's make let, let allow, allow us to make those updates and those modifications that are needed to actually keep pace with the te technological change. And I guess that's been the biggest criticism of what's happening in Australia, is that we've seen the change coming. We've been warned by all these advisors, all these experts, all these new technology developers saying, guys, this is coming, you're gonna have to change, you're gonna have to modify, and we've basically done nothing. And now we're in this mess. Well, we are in a mess, but as I say, the high prices will produce solutions, right? Let's look at the solutions that are going to come through. As I say, once when we lift the grid-delivered price by 20 or 30% and make grid-delivered supply less reliable, the market's going to respond with more solar, uh, more batteries, and frankly, more, more headway, headroom for utility-scale solar and wind. Uh, when the gas price goes up, we're going to look at alternatives to importing gases. Don't Markets do work. It's fine for consumers when prices are low and, and producers are getting killed. Uh, everyone loves that situation, of course. But when prices are high, oh, the market doesn't work. But it is working. It's just sending a signal out there to everyone. Get busy. There's, there's, a, there's a need for investment. Now, um, we're just going to sort of um, just a few more things to go. Now, you went to the Frank Calabria speech at CEDA um, the other day. This is the first outing of the new CEO for Origin Energy. Um, were you impressed? And I understand you got a bit of an insight into a new um, battery storage thing in WA. Uh, Charles, look, I've known Frank for years and he's a great guy and I think he's going to do a great job at Origin. Uh, that said, he talked his book. I mean, they, it's like when all these guys get up to speak, it's, it's, it's talk your book the whole book and nothing but the book. And his book is... <laughs> it's, book it's actually is, funny about that because you, you, you got all the submissions from the Finkel Review and guess what? All the gas people want more gas, all the network people want more networks, all the coal people want more coal, all the renewable people want more renewable. And God, it's actually find a, hard to find an independent voice in there. But anyway, go on. That is exactly right. You know, self-interest is the horse in the race and you always back it. And that's why we do turn to the academic studies. Or, or I mean, it's very hard to find someone without some self-interest. But this is the point about Frank's uh, speech. He, he joined the chorus of people calling for an emissions intensity scheme. Uh, and he thinks we need more, more gas-fired generation and, and a relaxation of the um, coal seam gas, uh, lack of banning and, and fracking rules, which is you know pretty much what I would have expected him to say. Mm. Uh, mm. Yes, and, and the EIS, and um, I've had a piece um, published this week as well that looks into the EIS in a bit more detail, and I think we're going to need a little bit more about um, that. But look, that's probably for next week. Um, just tell me about this battery storage thing in WA before we sign off. Well, uh, the... Frank was introduced by the sales and marketing guy uh, for ABB, a big uh, European power and power generation company. And he was saying that they just unpacked here in Australia this week a 30 megawatt, I think he said, 
uh, battery system that's going to go in at the Newman Power Station that I guess the uh, supplier there, Alinta, will be talking about once they've done their initial public offering. Uh, they're very quiet at the moment, Alinta, uh, because they're effectively running around trying to get themselves listed. Uh, but uh, that, that's, that's a big battery going in. It's one a number of a number of these battery projects. And out there in the resources industry, where it's diesel generation is the norm, uh, that's a pretty easy beat for solar and batteries. You know, diesel generation is very expensive when the oil price is up. And so all these resource companies are quite happy to put in solar and batteries if they can make it work. Absolutely. In fact, I've got a story coming up on that next week. Um, I've interviewed the chief executive of Horizon Power, which runs that network over in WA. It's an extraordinary network. Um, it's about the size of um, Europe um, or half of Europe. It's got 50,000 customers. That's one customer for every 50 square kilometres. They have a massive f subsidy to provide power to their customers. That's $5,000 each per customer per year. And they're coming up with some really interesting solutions with solar and storage. They'll have that next week. And I guess that's a segue to sort of say what else is happening next week. Um, the chief executive of AEMO, the market operator, turns up at the end of next week. Um, that's going to be very interesting. She comes from New York and um, she's been heading one of the most radical uh, transformation programs around the world, the Reform the Vision um, Thing in New York, and um, that's going to be interesting to see how she what she makes of Australia's energy mess and its politics. Um, anything else on the horizon, David? Well, the thing I'd like to point to today is Turnbull's called all the gas companies into for an emergency meeting. Uh, it's pretty amusing, really, because uh, there's also been noises coming from the current government, which arguably are quite correct noises about increasing the petroleum rent and resources tax. But imagine if you're a gas supplier and you're called into a meeting with Turnbull and saying, what can you do to increase gas supply? The first thing you're going to tell him, well, you know, drop this tax increase or, or we're walking straight out again. So you can't be talking about tax increases and more supply at the same time. You know, it's, it's the opposite way around. So that, that's the point I'd note. And then I'm still keeping a, a pretty strong eye on this forthcoming network uh, case for Osgrid in the Federal Court of Appeal where the decision is expected to be handed down in the next couple of weeks. Again, networks are the underestimated part of the business. We rarely talk about them. They're 50% of the price you pay for grid-delivered electricity, uh, distributed electricity in the grid, the separation between the grid and generator. These are all massive topics uh, where people have strong views but don't really necessarily understand all the issues. So I'll be keeping a focus going on that. Well, we'll be looking forward to your deciphering all of that and making sense for us. Once again, thank you very much, David. And um, thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the same time next week.